Yes, yes, hello. Rich here bringing you a new episode of the Reinforced Running Podcast. We talk to the best and brightest coaches in running and in OCR. Um, so I've been kicking around the idea of bringing some like intro music into into play here where, you know, something that would signify the beginning of an episode because it is just a little abrupt. Um, like I'm not talking and then all of a sudden I am talking. Um, so potentially some music is coming your way. So hit me up with some suggestions on what you would like to hear for some intro music. Um, but just know that I probably won't use your suggestion and I'm just going to do whatever I want anyway. So um, never mind. Just don't hit me up. That's fine. Uh, this week we have newly crowned 2019 Spartan Race Mountain Series champion and fifth place finisher at the Spartan Race World Championships in 2019. His name's Ian Hosick. On top of obviously being a sick athlete, Ian is a badass coach who has guided some of the best and brightest in the sport, some pretty high accolades. So basically the dude knows what he's talking about and he walks the walk and he talks the talk. In, episode, in, in this episode, you're going to get to hear his talk because we're going to talk about how you can train to be a monster in the mountains. Also how to schedule your training season to optimize your peak performance and some high level ways to maximize your performance with some really strong recovery strategies. The episode is, you know, me and Ian, so two OCR athletes talking about training, but the concepts do apply to runners who are training for hills or trail or any type of mountain race that you do have coming up. So I do think you'll get some value out of that, even if you're not in some obstacle course racing. So before we get to Ian, I would love if you could drop us a rating and review, hit subscribe to get all the latest podcasts directly into your feed, and also follow the link in the show notes to learn how Reinforced Running one-on-one coaching can help you reach your goals for your next OCR race or your next road racing event. So um, this episode is brought to you exclusively by the Performance Romper. So go to performanceromper.com and enter code, not a real thing. It's all lowercase letters. And then you'll get a completely fake discount on a completely fake item. Okay, Um, here's Ian. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. Today, our guest is Ian Hosick. Ian, what's up, dude? Yo. What's happening? So you have a mouthful of a, a delicious-looking quesadilla. T- tell, tell us about the Dilla. It's got cheese. It's got tortillas. It's got kale. I love kale. I eat a lot of kale. It's got great source of iron, whole lot of nutrients, um, best leafy green in my opinion, and then it's also got some summer sausage in there for more protein. Yeah, so the kale, the kale get, has a lot of hype, right? Like people like the nutrient benefits of it, but it doesn't taste that great. I don't, I don't, I'm gonna have to come back against it. I don't think it's yeah. the best tasting green. But. So I definitely always have sauce on it of some sort, uh, and if I don't do that, I saute it in olive oil, which makes it taste way better. Way better. Um, also, there's a trick Natalie Miano taught me way back when. If you take it and you massage, you literally just massage it with your hands and squeeze it for like five minutes, it releases all the sugars in stored in the kale itself and it tastes way better. So if you're making a kale salad, give it a good massage for a while. Just kind of like work it. Like sports massage or like Swedish massage? Uh, sports massage. You, More on the sports. Yeah, like do some grip training with it. Like that's definitely kale grip training we could start key, a new thing key takeaways um cool man and uh another question that has been burning in my mind and in like your professional opinion i, I really need to know like like pers- what kind of percentage gain 
can one expect in their performance if they have a performance romper to wear during a race? It's guaranteed win. It's it's. It's, <laughs> it's not how much performance gain. No matter when you're wearing a romper, it's always a win. No matter, what. no matter what place you finish, yeah, you you actually win. You can you can put mm-hmm. that on Instagram. Be like, hey, yeah. I ran a race today and I uh, won. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> You don't need to say what place you got. It's just a winning romper. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, Ian, you are a, a professional obstacle course racer, professional endurance coach. Um, but for everybody tuning in, just tell everybody a little bit about you. Mm, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> I currently live in rural Idaho, but I grew up in Montana, uh, actually closer to Canada than most of the United States. We are about 60 miles away from the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up playing a whole bunch of team sports. So hockey, soccer, um, played tennis, did a little bit of mountain biking when I was younger, but nothing really in the endurance realm. And then went to school for engineering because as everyone else in our generation, it was like, get good grades in high school, then go to college and get a degree you can do something with and then get a job that you'll be bored with for the rest of your life. Um, <laughs> I did two out of the three steps, and then after college, I traveled a bit uh, to South America and then got a job at a sports nutrition company, worked there for a bit, got a cool background in sports nutrition and sports science, just kind of entry-level stuff, and then got an engineering job at Nike, Hmm. uh, the swoosh, worked there for four and a half years. Was was in Beaverton? Did you live in Oregon? I was in Beaverton. I was in Portland, Oregon, Beaverton area. Um, And worked there for four and a half years. Got like, that's where a lot of my sports science knowledge came from, um, as I was able to work with a lot of the lead physiologists and biomechanists at Nike, because my wife actually was a biomechanist for Nike. Um, Well, we were dating before that, but then she, her dream job was to work for Nike as a biomechanist. And then I got to know everyone through that, um, as well as other. the program I was in and projects I worked on, uh, we worked a lot with them closely. So I actually did some testing on the breaking two shoe or the Enos 159 shoe. Um, the one everyone's freaking out about. I was one of the original testers, which was really cool. And they are as good as they say they are. Um, they're like controversial too. People are like kind of upset about them. How good. they are. Oh yeah. I, I agree. They have a right. If you're not wearing that, like it doesn't work as good for everyone. Um, and it's usually better for the longer distances, but for me, I, when they did the testing was like a six to 8% metabolic increase just no from, the, from the shoe alone. And, and, and go on. <clears throat> that was running like six minute pace. So it's not slow, but. Right. But it's also not four twenty. <laughs> um, yeah. and like, could, did you imagine it was going to translate this well? Cause they've come done studies like on the masses, right. And found almost across the board that this is the only shoe that everybody that's worn it has seen some sort of like percentage gain. <clears throat> uh, knowing, knowing the people who worked on it and knowing what they were finding, I could see that pretty easily. Um, and even like for recreational, like they did a lot of testing and I was, I always was the one badgering them with questions about what they were doing. Cause I thought it was so cool. Um, I didn't think it would be this big. And that second shoe, they actually turned around way faster than the first one. Um, the first one, the first version when he did breaking two attempt uh, a few years ago, um, 
was they were developing it for a long time and then the second one they like ramped it up super quick and got it out the door which was surprising and is it because people are 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 moaning and complaining about it and they are shoes everybody and every brand essentially is trying to now make a carbon a four foot plate propulsion plate or whatever um is nike just that much better at it are they uh, are the people behind it and engineers behind it and is it just the talent that's within that building? Are they able to do it better? Yes. And actually one of the guys, like one of the founders moved to um, Apple now. So like one of the guys who came up with it, mm. or like two people, but it's a combination of the carbon plate and the foam. Those two really are how it's amazing. And it's the shape of the plate and all, all the other stuff that you would think about. Um, but yes, th- those were like, the lead biomechanists on the planet. They're just the best ones. Cause I always think about that. It's like, well, they can't, I feel like other brands could replicate it, but maybe they've if, tried. I mean, they've you, tried. Look at, you look at boost and that, I mean, it's still great force return foam, but it's not anywhere close to the react stuff or actually the react variant. Yeah. And they all, every brand has this, some sort of energy return foam now because that's like what they need to do. And they all seem to be making pretty nice gains and doing good work, but Dude, those, those Nikes are crazy. Have you worn them yet? I haven't. I haven't worn them yet. You haven't um, spent like them a million dollars to buy them. They're like a dollar a mile. Like you, it's like a dollar plus a mile because they only last. That's, that's like, true. Yeah, I've, I've never thought about it that way, but that's pretty accurate. Like, and do, I mean, how much road running do you do? Do you have an opportunity to put them on and like go take them out? And, like, I don't. I don't have a pair myself because there's really no reason. I don't do road races. Yeah road halves or marathons um which is really where you'd see the benefits but no i I mean i just wear my trail shoes on roads yeah and and that's i I did a road 10 mile earlier this year and every single person in the front of the the front corral was wearing them and Mm -hmm. i was i couldn't believe and a buddy of mine got him he's like no dude they're like actually they're legit (laughs) they are the real thing it's it's pretty crazy you don't you don't think it's feel that way but then you put them on you're like oh this is definitely like legal cheating or it might be illegal cheating soon who knows it might be yeah and that's uh that's a whole different thing but either way it's like the dude still did something amazing and um oh there's no one else on the planet who can run a sub two-hour marathon no matter what shoes they're wearing he is the only one um and then from so you were there for four and a half years or so you said and and then how'd you kind of segue off yeah Yeah. so i started getting into ocr i i was always good at athletics um especially endurance stuff just naturally gifted my mom i think ran a 305 at altitude no nice at altitude so like the genetics are there which is nice um and then i started getting into ocr and then met some people and started getting into more of the coaching business uh i got involved with the kempson brothers early on and we kind of had a thing that later transitioned away from that, but that's kind of where I dipped my toe uh, in the waters of coaching and just kind of testing it out, seeing if I was good at it, seeing if I liked it. Um, turns out I was good at both. So I then was like, well, maybe I can just do a business out of this. Um, so I left Nike, my nice cushy job, and <laughs> went into the world of entrepreneurship and self-employment. And it's been going great. Um, business is going really well. My athletes, I have great re- relationship with all my athletes. Um, and some some of them have been just killing it this year, which is cool to see as well. 
hundred percent. Yeah. And I want to talk about, I mean, some of the, the athletes that you're coaching, they're getting such good results that I'm sure a lot of listeners know who they are. And we'll talk about, um, you know, some of the, the, the ways that you're getting results from these athletes. Um, but on a, on a personal level, man, we were just racing each other this past weekend. That's why I know about the win that you took home with one, your performance romper, but also you, <laughs> you, you, you won no matter what. And, but you also literally did win the, 2019 Spartan Race Mountain Series Championship, um, which is a whole series of races, and, and you were able to put together a, a pretty impressive string. So, um, yeah, tell us about that a little bit. How are you feeling a couple of days after the series? I mean, it was just about a week ago. Um, so, after about a week, like, how are you feeling about that? How have you, how have you been able to, able to like digest it all? I'm pretty jazzed. It was nice. It really kind of hit home after Whistler, which was nice because that's when I locked up the series with the point standings. Um, so that was, I was pretty excited about that weekend. I ran three races, won all three of them. Um, the super, which is like an eight mile. And then, uh, oh no, we did the sprint first. So they actually in Canada switched things around. They had the shorter race on Saturday. And then I did another trail race on Saturday. And then I did the super on Sunday. Um, and that, Ooh. I, it was the ahead. sprint that counted for the mountain series that day. Yeah. It was the, okay. the first race of the weekend. Um, and I was able to take home the win with all three of them, which was awesome. I don't know. I haven't looked in this, but I don't know if there's another person who's won all three of like the races in a weekend this year. Oh, like like the actual trifecta. Was it a trifecta? It, it's not technically a trifecta because it was like a- there was a trail race involved. But mm. um, so that was really cool. And then that's when I was like, oh, man, I can focus on Tahoe now and not worry about the last race in New Jersey. Um which we, we had a good battle until I missed my spear. Yeah, it was we a fun were, time. We were going to rage down the back half of the course. You would have probably dropped me because that was too far at that point. But um, no, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, going into the, the season, um, I had a rocky start. The first two races of the year were part of the U.S. National Series, and those were flatter courses, um, which isn't something I'm necessarily really good at. I can do it, but I'm not going to be like the best um, and so they weren't necessarily my forte. So coming off some bad races, it was frustrating. Um, then we hit Montana, which was the first race in the mountain series this year. And also a hometown race for me. I lived, uh, I grew up 40 minutes away. So that win, um, really, really helped boost confidence going into the rest of the season and carrying that throughout the lots of months we had left. Um, and then just staying consistent and, using my game plan I had come up with that I know works um, from Montana and pursuing that throughout the season. Yeah. Cause it definitely wasn't a real impressive string because like, even like, like just walking it back a little bit, like um, because we were at some of those same races and, you know, in general OCR does have like a wide range of terrain and the national series actually does a pretty good job. I think of having a couple flat races, which the first two were the third one was like mostly flat, Mm-hmm. Um, and in my experience, like I, I had a couple good races there at a, at a national stage, which I never had done before. So I was a couple top tens. I'll sit in like top 10 in the series. And then mm-hmm. I ripped it like a mean road race, like in May. And I was like, okay, I'm in great shape. And then I kept trying to talk myself into the big bear race. Like I hadn't had much time to be on a mountain or like, I don't have great access to it. And like in the early, mm-hmm. um, spring, like late winter here, you really can't get on them. And, but I was still trying to like 
wrap my brain around. It's like, no, I am fit. It's just going to go well. But then I went to Big Bear and got dominated, absolutely crushed. And like, so a real like simple question that like, I think you could help me answer is like, what does make the difference between a good flat runner and a good mountain runner? Uh, it's how you run uphills and how you run downhills. <laughs> how you run flat. <laughs> that, well, that is a great podcast over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, simple as that. Um, it, it's a lot about efficiency and being able to get it on the mountains themselves and get that neuromuscular economy. Cause the, the mechanics are definitely, they're similar, but they're definitely different. Um, the power generation you're getting from mountains is it can actually translate nicely to flat running, but mm. flat running really doesn't translate to uphill running very well. Um, also downhill, as we've seen this year with some of the athletes coming out and really turning that, uh, that area up, that's really important. And if you're not able to practice that, you're not going to get good at it. Um, downhill is all about practicing. Yes. You really want to work those eccentric loading on your quads and get all the tendons and everything, um, ready for that load, but it is about practice and getting that brain to foot connection. Mm. Um, you can run downhill and know with confidence that when you land, your foot is going to be where you want it to be. Um, also, it's going to be working on your reaction time because you got to react at high speeds, uh, especially if you're on technical terrain. Right. So like the downhills in particular are, are certainly a skill almost, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to just like full on aerobic capacity or any like the, mm-hmm. the power output things. And like, so for the uphills, it's basically like more of a muscle activation thing is where what it comes down to and like does it like the fatigue that will you're like a flat runner will they just become more fatigued going uphill sooner because they just don't have the ability or, or the practice to like call on the muscles to be activated to like then train them for endurance or like yeah that- it's also i mean it's also going to be strength as well so if i mean running on flat you do activate it's a lot of calves, like everyone who runs flat, especially if you run roads and at high speeds, your calves are going to be a lot like they're going to get taxed normally. Um, as opposed to mountain running is going to be a lot of glutes and quads and hamstrings. It's like those groups are just activated a lot more. Um, cause you are having to run, like you're fighting against gravity the entire time versus mm. running flat. So then like also like we'll change the mechanics then of the run too. Yeah, Absolutely. And that, and that's where there, you can do a lot of strength training to help that. So like step ups are great. Um, even just like the gym stuff, you can just put your treadmill at incline, go up. Uh, but then again, you're not getting that downhill training. Um, and then my, my favorite for hill training is hill repeats. Uh, almost anyone can do that even on treadmills. Um, so usually you can mix up the reps and volume of the workout depending on where you're at, but keeping your reps from, 50 to like 180 seconds. Uh, so almost a minute to three minutes. Um, like hitting it hard and hit and hitting it hard. Yeah. You want to be highly uncomfortable doing those reps. Um, and then ample recovery. So giving yourself enough time to recover during that, uh, depending on the focus of the workout. But if you want to get hill, good at Hills and that strength power, um, that's a good way to go. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause that's almost that's how you would, like a power lifter would train, right? Like lifting mm-hmm. three rep ranges as hard as they possibly can and then resting as long as they can so that then they can, they can call on that maximum power output again. So mm-hmm. is that kind of the idea behind hitting like hard hill repeats? 
as opposed yeah. to like like as opposed to say like doing like threshold repeats on a inclined treadmill which would be more of like a comfortable hard pace like a five to ten minute interval mm-hmm. um would it be more just like the power output difference in the two yeah so it's that's it's that's exactly it um a lot of my training is based off critical power uh and that's and i also have some background in um ground force reaction which is like how much force you can generate with every step you got a plate you got like uh, a plate at home i did slam I, on the plate I did do some plate testing actually back at Nike. I bet they have Ryan. them like on every, I bet they have them like in like the bathroom. They they don't have force plates on them. They did put one in the track. Okay. Uh, their main testing lab has a ton. And then the gym I tested in had one, but those were the only ones on campus. Um, it's not as common as you think. Yeah. Nike's, more <laughs> of a, Nike's a marketing company. Yeah, totally. More than a research facility. Um, but yeah, it's all about maximizing power with each, foot strike so that way running a certain speed you don't have to use as much of your percent like you can use a less percentage of your max um so you can run at that speed more comfortably nice so it really is about being stronger it yes but not i mean a lot of people when they think of strength training they think of oh you're doing weightlifting or things like that which definitely is a part of the program but you can also get that as part like part of your running when you get sore from a run that is actually strength training sure yeah that's a, that's a good and that's more like a sport specific strength training as opposed to like just doing walking lunges with a barbell on your back or something like exactly they're similar but they're not going to transfer over yeah exactly. although walking lunges are also great those are great for hill climbing we can still do them we'll do, we'll yeah. do both um, so when you like you mentioned like the critical power in a lot of your training, like, is there a measurement that you go on that? Or is it still just kind of a metric? Do you do something on distance or it's really kind of a a short interval to measure like heart rate, right. Or any type of bio biomarker. Um, like, do you like, how do you measure that? How do you measure that, that you're getting more powerful and getting better at those? Um, within that workout it's you can't really measure anything unless you had like a force plate or different style of things exactly for the same reason you mentioned it's not not long enough for heart rate you'll get that lag um it really is not as accurate as people want it to be especially for the short intervals but where you'll see it translate is for like time trials so you can do a time trial with heart rate or just general pace and you'll see people getting faster and everyone thinks time trials always have to be flat but you can do hill time trials you can go find a specific hill and have the same starting point same ending point and that can be like your 5k race essentially um just on a hill yeah that's that's a good that's a good point and it's more sport again sport specific it's a way to show like if you get better like the example i use about myself like i was good at like a road race okay my fitness is potentially better Mm -hmm. but in a 10 mile race not necessarily in uh 1500 foot elevation like point to point or whatever you know mm-hmm. yeah um cool so if so if someone is like just gonna get started for this and they have access to a mountain or you know even a treadmill right like how would you get someone started on elevation training if someone was new to ocr or someone was really wants to like crank up their like the elevation gain that they're gonna put take on in, in 2020 like how do you kind of start them out yeah so it's i mean it's when i have athletes working towards like races like big bear 
or races that have a lot more elevation or that's like a focus of theirs. It's about progressing them to the, where they want to be. You don't just want to throw them at them, throw it at them all at once. Cause that's how you get injured. And a lot of bad things happen when you do big jumps. Um, so like everything else I coach and preach, it's a, a progression to get there, but then just adding that in, in terms of their runs in general. So we have uh, aerobic runs and just put like, stay in the heart rate zone, but go do it on rolling hills or a mountain, or you can, you can still have the same workout, but adding that elevation and profile from the terrain. Um, and, and just doing that throughout the week consistently, not every workout has to be on hills. Um, I actually, mm. if someone's training for hills, I mandate one or two of the workouts, uh, that week be on flat. Um, just so you don't burn yourself out. It's really easy to get tendonitis, um, Achilles tendonitis if you're doing a lot of hills and then you're doing strength training on top of it. I've had a few athletes over the years do that. If they do like a hard hill repeat workout and then go do sled pushes um, the day before or something like that, I've, I've seen it happen. Um, I did not prescribe that though. <laughs> that was on their own. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about mixing it in naturally. Um, and obviously doing it with purpose. So making sure you're not just hiking up a mountain, um, and then changing the grades all the time as well. If you want to get good at one specific grade, because you know, that's the entire race is that grade, then great. You can spend all your time on it, but mountains have varying grades. And so you're going to want to play with all of those, um, from runnable all the way up to power hiking. Mm, That's a good tip. And yeah, cause it's easy. It's easy to just crank the treadmill at the highest point, but mm-hmm. then like New Jersey is a good example. Like the first climb was probably, what do you think? Like 18 to 20%, but the second climb wasn't, it was like nine or 10. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there was like two different climbs. And like, if you prepared for one, like you probably were, um, didn't do well on the other. Um, yeah. and so are you, so the, the part with the elevation, and I feel like this is when people start going into like these like Strava holes or going in and seeing what yeah. like the Killian Jornays are doing of the world. And they see that they're, that elevation is a metric that they're following. Um, and you mentioned pro- progressing, progressing your athletes through mm-hmm. like, do you look at that? Do you look at like, okay, we're going to add. 300 feet of elevation each week or do you still kind of go on distance and like time for that or how do you it's all all my stuff is time-based mm. um but with that being said i do that goes back to progressing like i tell my athletes i want you to start small so like if you haven't been doing any elevation maybe like three or four hundred feet during a run and then progress from there at a nice rate you don't just want to then double it and go to 800 and then go to 1200 and then 16. Um, but like a hundred feet, uh, a week or depend, it depends on where they're at. Um, but I, I do go by time cause that can take into the, that into account. And especially if people start progressing by elevation or distance, and then they start changing things drastically. So say they have a 12 mile run with no elevation, then they have a 12 mile run with 2000 feet of elevation. Those are going to be drastically way longer. Yeah way longer but the adaptations and like the stress on the body is going to be very different as well um so simple answer as i go by time but while looking at the elevation profile right it's not just like 10 hours of whatever you can whatever you have not 10 hours of just hills, right like exactly um yeah and, and is when it comes to 
like the programming for the uphills and just getting some elevation. Um, is that the, do you consider it the same for downhills or if someone doesn't have downhills in there, like what are some ways that you've found, like we talked about it being a skill, right? And like, you can't get better at like shooting a basketball if you don't have a basketball. And like that, that's kind of where like downhills are. Like if you can't really kind of do the eye foot coordination deal. Um, but have you found a way to kind of coordinate down or uh, kind of simulate downhills at all? Or how do you kind of program for no. downhills? No, you got to find a hill. And I mean, if you, it depends on like if the athlete knows that that's a weakness. So if they're doing it in their runs and like, it's fine if they do downhills during the run, that's, I, I want them to, I don't want them to solely focus on it, but if they're at a downhill and they stay within their heart rate zone, that usually means they're running decently fast. I'm totally okay with that. Um, but as for simulating it on its own without a downhill, that's pretty hard to do. You yeah. can do like ladder drills and coordination drills just for that um, hand foot coordination. But as far as getting the reaction time, like you can, st- there, there are drills you can do that help, but putting it all together is really where you're going to see the most bang for your buck um, in terms of practice, practicing. And I mean, even just a short hill, everyone can find a short hill nearby. It's, I mean, the Midwest is more difficult. I understand that, but they can still find a small hill to run down and then you can make it more difficult. You can put obstacles in the way like rocks or change things up. Um, Cause there is one thing for just standard downhill running with no technicality on it at all. And then once you get technical, that does change things a lot. And the technical part's really like really something you can't simulate, right? Like you can kind of put obstacles out there or whatever, but like the, the race we were just at, it was rocks and roots covered with leaves. And you just had to like be confident and comfortable that like that you weren't going to die. <clears throat> I would thought I was going to die the entire time. Emson <laughs> out front was worried about my ankles. He was like, oh, Ian's probably hating this. I was having a good time. But the fact that the rocks were covered with leaves and I could not see them, I was not a big fan. That was terrible. And I go to that race every year and come out the same way and be like, man, that's that's a kind of a dangerous race. I don't know if a fall race on a mountain is a great idea, but they just put it there and we just keep coming back and just hope yeah. that we end up okay. Um, <laughs> and that that's actually something that I noticed on the in that those first couple of mountain the first mountain series race or the Big Bear race in particular that um, my ankles like weren't holding up just to kind of the pounding and even just like the un- uncertainty of the terrain on that. Um, is that something you notice or is that something your athletes kind of need to deal with it or kind of adapt to is the practice of going down and so that like their ankles or other type of other areas in their body can adapt to those things? Yeah. And that's, I mean, I really don't recommend road running at all. Um, mm. I tell all my athletes to do the majority of their miles on trails. And that's one of the reasons, um, just the uneven terrain, uh, it's better for your joints, but all of that helps stabilize you, especially if you're not doing hip strengthening. And that's really where you'll notice it is that hip strength translates down all the way to your knee and ankle. Um, and so if your hips aren't strong and your ankle goes and your hip isn't able to stabilize it, then you'll, you're probably going to roll an ankle. With that being said, you also do need to strengthen the ankle as well as get the mobility there. Um, if your ankles aren't mobile, then when you place your do a foot placement on an uneven surface that you're you can't handle, that's also going to tax it and possibly cause an injury, um, or you'll just trip. Depends on how strong your tendons are, ligaments. Um, 
And then a lot of single leg stability stuff is mm. really where you'll get that. And that goes back to the hip strength thing. But, um, and then you can do dynamic single leg stuff, which is going to help with that downhill running as well, just in terms of strength training. And, and those are, those are good points for the people who might be in the Midwest or urban areas that can at least mitigate some of the absence of a downhill, like doing mm. like, like you said, those single leg things, or like you said, single leg, uh, what do you mean like plyometric stuff, like single leg yeah. jumps and hops and mm-hmm. um, lateral bounce, single leg, lateral bounce, single leg hops. Um, there's a whole variety of things out there. You can just look up single leg plyometric movements um, and almost any one of those is going to be good. But as usual, progress there. If you can't do it like, and it's not comfortable, there are progressions to get to those movements. Yeah. And, and that, that's really is key to most of this. And I feel like the, those are athletes are so gung ho and they're just like, I'm going to go to a mountain and I'm going to run 5,000 feet of elevation, like out of nowhere, like on one day, you know, so as fast as I can, as fast as possible. It's like going to ruin the week of training, but like, I'm going to get that 5,000. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, progress everything, <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, if you think about it, our bodies like they're good at reacting to the stress we put on it. But if you put too much stress and overload the system, it'll still react to it. It'll just like beat the system into submission. And then it's going to be like, okay, I don't really, I'm going to do my best, but I am slightly, I'm just trying to get back to normal and then I can go get that super compensation. Mm. But if you're putting yourself into the hole and getting back to normal, if you dig your hole so deep that you can't get back to normal very quick, that's where you'll see problems arise. And that's the thing with racing so much too. Like that's where people race twice a weekend, every weekend and they'll travel for it. And the travel takes things out of that too. Like how do you, what conversations are you having with your athletes to really help them understand the idea of progression, super compensation, adaptation, recovery? Like do you you just tell them like, Hey, no, or do you, can you like explain to them in a way that is, uh, a little bit more allowing them to come to that conclusion. The the easiest or the simplest way I put it is you cannot train well and you cannot race well simultaneously. You can do one or the other. Like if you want to race a lot, great. You'll be racing a lot, but you're not going to be like really training during that time. It's going to be more maintaining and your fitness is going to stay stagnant or slightly drop off over time. And then training, obviously, if you have time to train and do the recovery steps and it's great and get nice blocks and phenomenal. But that means when you're training, you can't be racing. So you have to choose one or the other. And especially with the OCR, um, the companies and more races coming about, it gets harder and harder to find those nice training blocks, hmm. especially during the season. Um, and I communicate this to a lot of athletes and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And the times it doesn't, they're like, oh, after it happens, they tell me, oh, you really can't train while racing. And I was like, no, I told you so. I'm glad we learned this lesson for next year. Yeah, right. You can't do it and like stay healthy and get better. You can like try to like kick it hard on a Tuesday after a Saturday, Sunday, like, but the workout won't go well. And that'll just hurt your race. The next one that's coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that, that's definitely a, a struggle for sure. But along the lines of you mentioned um, some like people getting Achilles tendon tendon issues, Achilles tendonitis stuff. Um, and for me, 
coming from more of like a road and track background, um, I know the signals of like an overuse injury when they start coming from mm-hmm. running too much flat. Um, mm-hmm. So when you start taking on, and I, I found this this year because I was able to get a little bit more elevation than I have ever had before, Nick, it feels different and mm-hmm. the d- different areas hurt. So like, what what are some other areas where people might start to feel like they're like potential injuries coming from like too much elevation training? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, really when you boil running down, there's like a, there's only a handful of overuse injuries that you'll commonly see. These are the common ones. Um, and it's usually like some sort of tendinopathy. So like tendonitis, tendinosis, uh, and the places you'll usually see that are Achilles and that can either be soleus or gastroc. And those are actually going to be different. Um, they both attach into your Achilles tendon, but where they go or like their main attachment points and insertion points are slightly different. Um, soleus is going to be a little bit more lateral and medial, and then gastrox are going to be that meaty section of your tendon. Um, and then also another big place I see it is your hamstring Mm. or not hamstring, sorry, quad, your quad, um, right over your patella. Uh, your quad insertion can really get taxed over time. And you'll see that with a lot of downhill running or just a lot of uphill running in general and hiking, um, just overuse. And that's where you'll see tendinopathy. You can see hamstrings occasionally, not as much. Um, and then really where you'll see other problems arise are from the hips. And that's going to be either IT band syndrome, which is everyone's favorite thing. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> almost all runners have weak hips because we spend like a bajillion hours in the sagittal plane and never get out of it and do lateral strength training, which is another reason why downhill running is nice. Cause you are doing a lot of like lateral stabilizing, um, at speed. So you can get strong hips from that, uh, mm. as well as just doing banded banded standing work. Um, so monster walks, sidesteps, um, all of those things that people preach over the years do those. And it's then that even, <laughs> there's a reason for it. Um, and single leg stability as well. All of those are about strengthening the hips and having a good, uh, pelvic region can go a long ways for injury prevention. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I, I actually caught some of that quad, uh, over the, above the knee from like too much elevation, just like too fast. Yep. And I was like, good. Now, that's, that's something I, I wouldn't have, ex- I don't, I would, I'd never had experienced on flats. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you get the Achilles stuff, like I'll get some like hip flexor things. You get the IT band stuff, but I never had that like quad quite. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's a good, that's a good point about the trails, right? Like, and, and I was curious about that. Like when, so you you'll pretty much, so the trail running does kind of work also as strength training and that's kind mm-hmm. of how you'll, you'll program that in essentially. Yeah. It's, I mean, it does it on its own. Um, when you're doing a road run and you're just running straight on a road, you're really only targeting those muscle groups that are firing Mm. in that, like, and in the running mechanics. But when you're on a trail and you're going over some technical terrain or you're going around a corner or you get undulating rolly stuff, you're activating a lot more of those smaller stabilizer muscles, as well as you're activating a greater percentage of the main muscles that are firing as well. Um, I mean, hill, hills will do that is what I should say. Um, and that's, it's actually awesome too, because it kind of acts like a two for one, like you get this strengthen and help the skill of things, 
but mm-hmm. also like you can't really run that hard on trails. So you can't mm-hmm. go out and like pound it and hit it so hard that you're like, you're digging yourself into that bigger hole. So it actually works kind of too. Oh yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can. Is, do you see people doing that? Do you see people hitting it really hard on the trail or do you think it's just like yeah. a byproduct of it? I mean, you're, you're East coast based. So your trails are a lot more technical, mm-hmm. but if you get into California um, or some of the Colorado trails that aren't as technical, you'll like, you can go pretty darn hard. Um, and it, you can go for a long time too, if you're out there. Cause there's, I mean, the trails go on forever in those places. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's true. I'm talking more from like East coast bias because like all the trails, like you can barely, like they're windy. and yeah. Yes. Those trails are hard to go hard on. Like you'll get up to speed and then you'll have a 90 degree corner or like 180 hairpin. Right. Um, and that just takes everything out and get about back up to speed. It is hard to do that. But when you go to like these bigger exposed areas, um, deserts are one, um, prairies, things like that. You can really get, you can push hard. Like I'll do some fartlek workouts on a trail and those work me way harder than just on like a gravel road. Hmm. And is that kind of are the trails like that by you more like the open trails? Depends on where you go. Like you can get into the high Alpine. Um, and then they're like super exposed. You can like sprint through those cause they're just very, very nice and they're not big boulder fields. Um, but there are other ones that are more technical and I, I know them well enough at this point to kind of pick and choose which one I want based on the day or what, what I've been doing recently. Man, that's awesome. I, I'm so jealous that you have like the option of different trails. Like we have like mm-hmm. the one trail you go to and that's just yeah. like what you have. So you have to deal with it. Yep. Yep. <sighs> But I did choose to move here. I mean, that was it was a big life change to get out here. Um, yeah, one of the nice things about this area um, and why we moved here is my wife and I really wanted access to trails and pretty much endless trails around here, which is really nice. I'm still exploring the valley, and that's like a 20-minute drive in any direction to probably 60 different trailheads. Um, but if you extend beyond that, you, we have West Yellowstone, like Yellowstone National Park, uh, then we have the Palisades to the south. And then like you, if you drive several hours, I don't even know at that point, it would be crazy. Like you get in the Salt Lake area, you can go into Sun Valley, Idaho. Um, it, I, I'm so spoiled right here that I haven't even explored beyond. Whereas most other people have to drive those several hours or like yeah. an hour to get to a nice trail. And that's, yeah, like that's... the only one. That's some bullshit. That's, that's <laughs> what I, that is what I call bullshit. It's amazing. But, but good for you. Good for you. <laughs> I, it was an active choice to be out here. And thankfully I had a that's job true. that was able to like um, help me with that transition. And still I have like full-time employment, which is nice. And that's uh, she actually works on the ski resort here. So we get free ski passes for the winter, um, free mountain bike passes in the summer. Yeah, there's really not anything bad about it living that life man so yeah you made the move so good for you but um yeah so one thing i do want to uh talk to you a little bit about because it's one thing that in my eyes you clearly did better than anyone else this year um was get to your peak fitness at the right time Uh, we mentioned you won the mountain series which was is a longer series and you were able to kind of pick your spots and really like execute when when came time but you also ended up fifth overall at the world championships and, um, in the beginning of the year, you mentioned like, it wasn't like, they were some flat, flat running courses. So it might not been up your alley, but even to come from where you were in the beginning of the year and then end up fifth in the world is just like amazing 
peaking ability, right? So you planned out your season really well. So <laughs> yeah. like, like talk, talk to us a little bit about that. And we talked about racing and picking your spots a little bit more, but like when you get like plan out your arc of your season, what are some of the things that you are considering? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great question. And I, there's a few things that go into it. It depends on your goals. So, I mean, my goals were two of my goals were to do well at Tahoe the world championship and then win the mountain series. And to do that, I needed to be injury free the entire season. And then also like peak at the end of the season, had my goals been to like try and do really, really well in the national series. Like I wanted to do well, but with those two races, it was a lot harder for me. Hmm. Um, and they started really early. They like, for those listening, they, they started in February. It starts in February, oh. and the and the the Tahoe was, Whoa, was September. It, Jan- it was January. I think it was February. You sure? I think it's the same weekend as it is. It's like the twenty second or something. Either way, it's super early. I'm looking it up. Look it up. Um. Regardless, oh, that's March. Fuck. Yeah, I think March was okay. So Mobile. It was, Mobile. It was. Yeah, that was Alabama. It was February. Yeah. Um, regardless, that's like February to November is a nine-month season, which is just absurd for endurance athletics. Um, mo- for those of you listening, most sports have a season around like three to five months, five months mm-hmm. being really long. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're peaking for usually three of those months. And I took – like that's how I thought about my season. As I like pr- – I progressed my volume um, – to where I was peaking it around Tahoe time or like the month and a half leading up to it, um, which was the maximum volume I did all season. And then at the beginning of the year, I still had fairly high volume, but it wasn't close to my peak volume, which is where I just trashed myself um, in a very controlled, progressive way. (laughs) On purpose. (laughs) On purpose. But, um, and then making sure, like, with that long of a season, there were some times to take breaks. So after the Colorado race, Mountain Series race, I just took a week completely off. Like, just focused on active recovery stuff, very light training, if any. Um, still ate healthy, got as much sleep as possible. Basically, it was a full rest week mid-season. Um, and that was just so I didn't, like, fry my central nervous system, as well as try and fix any of the nagging tissue stuff, soft tissue stuff, um, that was starting to crop up from racing so much and training so much early in the season. Um, but it was finding a volume where you still are comfortable with your level of fitness. So I was still with like in the first two races, they weren't great, but I still was top 20 pretty easily. Um, and then progress that over the year, increasing your fitness over time um, and making sure you do get ad- adequate recovery for that long season. And this year, I think, I don't know that they haven't announced a series yet, but I, the rumors have a similar structure where there is a couple spots um, to take some time off and get yourself back to normal or <laughs> out of the hole a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I think they have one midsummer, but if the rumors are to be true, it sounds like world championships might be really late in the year in a very hot, dry place. <laughs> yeah. Um, but after Tahoe and OCR world championships, there should be a good spot uh, to take a break as well. And then 
resume training again. And there, there are ways to, if you want to continue training and not take a break, like you can step back your volume a lot. Um, so you'll, you'll have cycles where you'll go up to a peak volume and then step back and then go again. But you have to make sure you don't have any target a races when you're in that rebuilding phase. Um, because you will be, I mean, you'll be recovering and, losing a little bit of fitness, but because you're recovering, you're gaining fitness. So it's all about, it's, it's the time frame of it. And, uh, when those races are in those cycles. And you mentioned, and I mentioned too, like the peaking and peak volume. And these are terms that we're just like saying, because we're familiar with them, but like, what does that actually mean? Like, does that mean like the most, like the hardest workouts that you're doing with the highest volume and the highest intensity and like, is it naturally just ramped up or are you, are you planning out like, okay, it's just two weeks in front of my a race of the year. So these two to three weeks need to be at the highest. So whatever I need to do to get to here and then plan backwards, or how do you get to that peak or just kind of progress it as the season goes along? Yeah, I, I progress it from the, from the front and I don't back plan. Um, mm. If you say, if you have a specific target, you're trying to hit, and don't have the time you need to get there safely without injury and you try and push it too much. I am not a proponent of that. Um, there are times to do that, but you have to like, you have to essentially be a professional athlete knowing exactly. You have to know your body really well and know all the signs of injury or CNS fatigue. Um, and I, I don't do that with myself or athletes really ever. Um, unless like, they no, I really haven't done that with anyone. Um, yeah. And, and, and like, it's also, you need to be like free of commitments almost, you yeah, know, like yeah. stuff just can't happen. You can't get sick or, or, yeah. and then, and then try to re up for it. Be like, I need to do hundred miles this week, or we'll say 15 hours of running or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, no matter what, make it there. Like if just like shit happens, it's just not going to, mm -hmm. it's not going to work. So, yeah. so you, you actually take it week by week or like three or four weeks at a time and see mm -hmm. as far as you can naturally get in here and then just kind of yeah have those peak weeks and then, okay, like these are my peak weeks, no matter what. And then mm -hmm. we're going to bring it back down. Yeah. And over the course of like, because the season's so long as you can progress to a lot of volume. And then once you get to those peak volumes, you have to be aware of how your body is reacting to that. So if I like, if we progress you to, 12, 13 hours of running a week and your body starts falling apart. Obviously we have to like either stay there or take a step back because we can't push you beyond that. Um, otherwise your body's just continue to fall apart. Either that's like I mentioned, your central nervous system or soft tissue. Those are the two main ones you'll see. And those can manifest in different things. You could start getting really minor injuries all over the place. Um, you could start getting sick all the time. You're tired. you are like the meanest person in your entire town. Um, but there's different ways it'll manifest and just being aware of those and realizing what's happening uh, is very crucial. And like, there's several athletes that I have that got to those levels and we just have to like be patient at that level or take a step back so they can recover and then go to that level again. And if they feel the same way, then repeat the cycle. We stay there or go back. And then if they hit that and they're like, Oh, I'm fine. Then we can move on. They've adapted to that stimulus and they can progress. And then usually 
the next ceiling cap is going to be fairly close after that because those pushing into those new boundaries is a lot harder than getting to places you've already been. Yeah. And that's that, that adaptation is like the key word there. Right. And like, like you're going to feel like shit and those things might be normal. And then that's like, it could be that ceiling, but you will eventually adapt to it and, and, and being mm-hmm. patient in there. And mm-hmm. that might be what people do get into that, like overtraining or where they do get soft tissue injuries and have to pull back on their own is when they just try to push through that ceiling without mm-hmm. the adaptation. And then it just kind yeah. of, well, it, obviously if you feel like garbage and you're working out, you just need to work out harder. No, well, no duh. And then race <laughs> and then race or only race and work out harder. Only race. Um, Put it on Instagram and then, yeah. Mission by, the, by the way, everyone, we're being extremely sarcastic. Don't <laughs> do that. Disclaimer. Um, listen, listen to your body and listen to the warning signs and fix them. And then fix. So, what are some ways that you you can fix them or kind of get out of that hole? Because like that is what adaptation is: is digging yourself a hole and, and getting out of it and being stronger from it. But like outside of just training and say like resting, like what are some other things or, or like how would you say people should rest or other areas that they can target to help them adapt better or get the most yeah. out of their workouts? So there's two main things that you need to do. And those are like the biggest things and everything you do is trying to like increase those. And that is sleep and or like rest, just laying down or meditating. So sleep, meditation, some style of rest like that, and then eating enough food of the right stuff. So you need to be eating enough carbohydrates, enough proteins, and enough fats. Um, and that's those two things is how you recover, and everything else feeds into them. Um, I mentioned meditation is a great way to do rest. Uh, naps are really good, like power naps throughout the day. Like the American, the standard American person does not sleep enough at all, mm-hmm. especially, especially if they're working out. Um, full-time athletes usually should sleep eight to like 10 or 11 hours a night um depending on like genetics and every like work life stress everything quality of sleep yeah yep quality of sleep um so those like those are two easy things meditation is great if you don't know how to do it there are tons of apps out there it's really great for mindfulness exercises um it also will help you in your personal life you'll feel more calm relaxed Uh, You'll enjoy things more. It's just meditation is great. Recommend it to everyone. Um, And then sleep. There are a lot of things you can do to improve sleep. If you live in a city, uh, I would say turn off your router, but most of the time you're in an apartment or the Wi-Fi is all over the place. That can actually, it doesn't inhibit cell growth or it doesn't inhibit your cells, but it does inhibit neural brain waves during sleep and REM patterns. Hmm. So turn off your router at night if you're in a place that is conducive for that. Like I said, if you're in an apartment apartment complex, you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Wait, click the Wi. Wait, click the Wi-Fi connection. And a thousand names come yeah. up. Or just turn off your entire building's power. That'll do just it. Shut shut it down. Be like we're just sleeping right now. Don't worry. Yep. Uh, you want to sleep in a dark environment, so make sure there are no visible lights in the room. Um, if that's not possible, eye masks are great. Or like putting something over your eyes. Uh, another big thing I'm a proponent of is magnesium. Um, there's a couple different ways to take it. I prefer topical magnesium and that's Mm. like magnesium spray and it is more absorptive absorption. You absorb more of it, um, than you do, than you would orally. 
uh, through top, topical means. So spray the bottom of your feet, your palms, your hands, and your abdomen. And that is where those like the major sources of absorbing things are. Uh, inner thighs or armpits, but those are weird. Um, and it, it, if you do start using it, it can itch a little bit at the beginning, but um, you'll get used to it after a couple of times. And that stuff puts me into a very deep sleep before bed, which is great. Yeah. So what does the magnesium exactly do? Cause I've taken like a, the, a ZMA, like a zinc magnesium acetate, mm-hmm. uh, before. And, um, you do, you definitely do feel a difference in, in your sleep. What is the magnesium, just a mineral that we might be deficient on in because of our diets or like, what is it that magnesium specifically does? I would probably say there's a deficiency there, but I, ha- I to be honest, I haven't looked into that science. Um, yeah. It's something I definitely should do because I do promote it. And I, I know there is science backing it, which makes me feel comfortable, but I, not reading the research papers myself is not being a good coach. <laughs> definitely something. Uh, and yeah, full disclosures, I, I don't know the mechanisms behind it. I do know it works. And, and like with something like a, a zinc or a magnesium that is a, a mineral that we get in our food, like I have no problem recommending something like that because it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be safe. You know, it's yeah. not like, it's not like an over the counter sleep aid or even like melatonin I'm a little weird with. I don't think that's always a, a great bet. It seems like it's like I a know. replacement. It's almost like a, a, like a replacement of a hormone that you might yeah. become dependent on. So like doing something like a magnesium is going to be a much safer bet. Yeah. yeah. And I actually have active, like, uh, waking hallucinations when I take melatonin. So I don't do that. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, it's weird. Um, another thing for sleep though, to help speak of melatonin is screens at night, uh, get some blue light blocker glasses mm. or just don't do electronics an hour and a half before bed. I mean, everyone's probably heard this parroted over and over, but the blue light uh, from those screens does inhibit melatonin production, um, which is why you can stay awake forever in office buildings and those fluorescent lights, they will just keep you awake because you're not producing melatonin. You'll feel really tired, but you're not going to fall asleep. And and I think the, and also like getting sun early in the day, like that's what Mm -hmm. helps that cycle, like get outside. Cause that's the deal, right? With melatonin is that like, like blue light in particular, like your body might not recognize that that's not the sky or the sun. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. recognize that it's supposed to be dark. Well, um, I mean, light in general, yes, but the wa- the blue light wavelength actually does inhibit melatonin production. It's okay. not just the fact that it's light. So like you can be looking at a red light and then go to sleep and that's fine. Like I do red light therapy and I'll do it right before bed and I'll sometimes just stare at the red light. It doesn't inhibit me. <laughs> um, but the blue light actually, those wavelengths do inhibit melatonin production. However, that does circadian rhythm is super, super powerful. So getting on that, like getting up when it's light out and falling asleep when it's dark can go a long way to just helping establish a habit and your body knowing that. So when it's dark out, it's time to fall asleep. It's hard when you get to the Northern latitudes, um, at least for me, because I have such an established circadian rhythm that when it gets dark at like 4.35, I'm like, oh, it's almost bedtime. <laughs> yeah. 4, 4.30 or 5, and it's not almost bedtime. So um, that is a downside to it, but uh, it, I can fall asleep almost anywhere, which is very helpful. Strong. And yeah, that, and that's that's a hard one for a lot of people, especially people who uh, do have small children, you know, who have jobs that start early, for example, mm-hmm. real demanding, stressful jobs. 
Um, and, and to me, it is something that is going to change everything. Like if you can manage your sleep, if you can have habits around it, that is really going to help with everything. Like, do you have any other, like any tips for somebody who might be like, like, listen, cool. Like, that's great to get eight hours of sleep, but I have twin two-year-olds. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's not going to happen. Uh, that's, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, power naps and meditation are great ways to find those tiny amounts of time, like a power nap for 25 minutes, you'll wake up feeling so much better. And that can, you don't necessarily have to fall asleep. If you are really tired, be careful though, and make sure you have an alarm slit. If you fall asleep in the middle of the day and you like sleep through your shift or something like that, (laughs) not, not great, but those, those tiny things can add up. So instead of surfing Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or whatever, for that 25 minute break, just like go to your car and take a nap or like find a dark corner in the storeroom or something. Um, and like, it's not great to stare at screens anyways. And you'll feel better when you wake up. The fact that you missed your friend's funny video about cats is not going to end the world, but (laughs) you'll be able to handle your family life better, especially if you have twins, newborn twins. I mean, that sounds pretty tough and you're a working mom. Um, nap when you can like your break is great but just like go take a power nap yeah and that's something that you can't overstate right like it's fine it's okay to take a nap (laughs) just like do it oh yeah i nap all the time and the meditation is another big one that's another one i like to recommend to people a lot and it's something that is foreign to people and they're they're almost like they're really kind of afraid to do it they're almost like i because it is it's as silly as it sounds it's hard to sit with yourself and and just and people think that they're going to do it incorrectly like i'm just bad at meditation which really is not the point it's really there's no metric that's not a competition like you just need to sit and 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 really relax and 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 help replace those thoughts that come in so like how do you kind of encourage people to start the meditation the the easiest thing is just to sit there or lay there or get into a comfortable position and just focus on your breathing um that's like the one thing you can control when you're sitting there and really making that a conscious thing can kind of bring your mind to a nice rhythmic state. Uh, there's tons of different styles of meditation out there. So find what works best for you. That doesn't mean like watch TV. That's not meditating. Right. right. Um, if you want to turn on some white noise to help drown out some outside ambient sounds, that's great. Um, or like some non lyrical music, like classical stuff, uh, acoustic guitar, things like that. Um, that's great. Like I mentioned earlier, guided meditation apps are, is a really easy, good way to go. Um, and then often like, even if you are meditating and you have a thought come in, don't like freak out that the thought showed up just like, Oh, there's a thought, maybe look at it and then let it go and then go back to breathing. And that may happen often, or it might not happen at all. Everyone's different. Um, but like you mentioned, it's just being in that kind of relaxed state not thinking about anything, breathing evenly, making sure you are getting enough oxygen. Um, oxygen is good. Oxygen is good. And yeah, and that's the thing with the, the thought that comes in and that's really how it helps the stress. And and if you're training at a high level, like stress is going to be stress one way or another, if it's coming from training or if it's coming from like work induced or just like mental Ooh. stress, like the, the, the meditation part of like having a thought and just recognizing that it's a thought, like, and that you can think about something else really does span across like the, the yeah. other stress that you'll feel. So that, that is another way that it can really help the recovery aspect of, yeah. of what you're doing. Um, and then uh, along the lines of uh, the nutrition, do you have people kind of ramp up 
the foods that they're eating as their volume goes up? Do you kind of peak it with it? Or do you just kind of make sure that people, it's like, when we're in a certain area, make sure that you're at least getting these key targets in? Like, how do you kind of go about that? I don't do macro counting or calorie counting. Um, I don't have a background in that. So like with most of my coaching, if I, like I can give you a broad guideline on how to eat and what foods you should be getting in, um, making sure you're getting these specific food groups. So like obviously carbohydrates, protein, fats. Um, But as far as specific calorie counting, I don't really go into that. And I do have a few nutritionists that I will recommend uh, athletes to for if they're looking for kind of that next level of everything really tracked out. Um, But really it's, I recommend people eat by feel and that doesn't mean overeating constantly unless you eat a ton and you're like, Oh, I'm still hungry. But that usually happens when you're training a lot. Um, but if you eat a lot and then you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm full and satiated. There's no reason to eat more. Our bodies are very good at regulating that and sending us signals. Um, if you're listening to them or if you haven't messed them up in the past, like you can mess them up by overeating all the time, um, or only eating specific food groups, your body's going to tell you to eat more until it gets the nutrients it wants. Um, so if you only eat carbs for a week, it's going to tell you to eat a lot, but it want you wants you to eat protein all the time or fats, um, probably less fats. But yeah, and it, it if you know what to look for and listen to it properly, you can, it's fairly, it's not easy, I should say, but it's, you can be very close to where you want to be. Um, and that maybe is so far, like put three things in front of you, like a meat, a carbohydrate and a fat and eat one and not like, like healthy options. So not just sugar, uh, like really other things, but like if you eat one and it tastes really good and you crave that, that's your body telling you, you should eat more of that unless it Mm. has MSG and MSG lies to you. (laughs) Then it will want you to eat more. Um, Cool. That's, that, that's a really good point. Cause it can be an, an intuitive thing, right? When your training goes up, like you're going, your appetite will be up and your mm-hmm. body will tell you these things. It's just a matter of being in tune. Again, that's where kind of meditation can help as well for people who might not eat, who might eat without mindfulness or stress eat. Um, that's where it's like kind of, kind of tricky, but most athletes are, are going to be in a, in a good spot that way, as far as, um, figuring out or like listening to the body and knowing how much to, to eat at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So just real quick. Um, so if you were to talk to a new OCR athlete and just, or, and like kind of divert them away from things that you see people doing, like what, what do you see a lot of OCR athletes like doing wrong in their training? Uh, don't run too much all at once at first. Um, not every run needs to be as fast as possible. So run slow to get fast. Uh, that's usually the biggest habit I have to break people of. Um, don't race too much. I think that is the top thing I have to talk to people about, especially like, because we're all, we all love racing. Like most runners don't necessarily love racing. It's like they do it for the accomplishment and training, but during the race, it's not necessarily type one fun. A lot of OCR athletes and OCR in general is, is, is type one fun. Like yeah. we're out playing in the mud on rigs and with friends and stuff. Um, 
road races and things like that, you don't see that as much. It's more of a type two thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's done and you're like, glad that's done. And an hour later, you're like, that was pretty good. That was fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, so people race a lot. Uh, if you are looking to up your performance, focus a good chunk of time on training. And I normally say 10 weeks. If you have a, a race you're really focusing on, 10 weeks is a great amount of time to get some solid training in, um, some good building blocks, and then recovery weeks in there. And that way you can perform the way you want to for the upcoming race. Um, what else? I think those are, those are like the main things. Eat food, good. eat food during long runs and mm. races. <laughs> That's helpful. Totally. And, and and like, don't be afraid to push it. Like people want to have like one goo for like a two and a half hour run. It's like, mm. you need a little bit more. It's like, just like, yeah. see where you see what you can yeah. see what you can yeah. get in there. I, yeah. I mean, a good, if you're just experimenting with nutrition, like you can, the goal is to take as many calories as possible in that amount of time without feeling bad. Yeah. It's like more, um, it's the most more, it's fuel, right? Like yeah. you want that there yeah. for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's, that's a great point. So yeah, don't be afraid to fuel during runs or races, but before doing that practice, like don't just do fueling experiments during races that you'll feel pretty bad probably. Um, and then finally just progression. So don't make big jumps and leaps and bounds, uh, with your training, ease into it nicely. Um, small steps. Totally. The progression all day, every day needs to progress. Yes. Yeah, don't, don't come out too hot. You got a beast coming up. It's okay. Like you don't need to run for five hours today and you're coming from nowhere. Yes. Um, you'll do better on the next beast. Um, cool, man. Yeah, totally. So, so, uh, overall the season was a success, right? You like, you feeling pretty, you feel jazzed up about I, it. Oh yeah. I feel very good about it. Oh crap. I need to do that. Actually. I just remembered something I have to do for my, uh, I have a coach I work with for, um, mental stuff, uh, psychology, sports psych coach. Nice. And I, I remembered I need to do a season recap. Um, but I'm, I'm very happy with the season and how it turned out. I, I think it's a good building block in my career and going forward. I'm like, I obviously want to do better. I know I can do better. Um, and then there's some more, I think next year I'm going to dip my toe into some more ultra trail running events. Um, yeah. see how that goes. I've never done those. They used to scare me now after this year, I'm like, Oh, that sounds kind of fun. Um, <laughs> And that's just, that's years of running type, under my Type belt. one fun or? That's going to be more type two, I think. That'll be type two. I think so too. <laughs> I think there'll be hints of type one in there, like little splashes, but mostly it's going to be like, oh, my knees really hurt and my feet hurt and I'm hungry and tired and I still have 15 more miles to go. Awesome. <laughs> that sounds like type two. That does yeah. sound like type two. Afterwards, it'll be like, cool. I ran in awesome places. I'm still alive. I maybe did okay. We'll find out. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy, and I mean I'm I don't plan on ending my career anytime soon. Much to the chagrin of my wife, she <laughs> doesn't like full training time, um, but she's really supportive and great, which is cool. Uh, so yeah, and it, business is going well, and it, expanding it here and there um, this year, which is nice. And uh, yeah, it's I mean beginning of something great hopefully totally man and uh yeah like what are you thinking for next season are you gonna are you you think you do you have like a spartan schedule are you kind of stay that path or are you gonna think about or are you gonna like really make next are they i heard they might be doing an ultra series is that something you've heard 
What do you know? Do you I, know people? Are you in the know? I do know things. You know I'm things. Not, I'm not allowed to share things. On the uh, uh, not on the record. Not on the record. I mean, depending on when you push this out, they should. I hope they're announcing things soon. Um, they're like hinting about stuff here and there, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, we figure on. after Sweden, right? I I mean. We we figure every t- every year we're like oh they're gonna do it early and we'll have time to prepare and book our flights. Sometimes they do that for certain series, um, other times not so much. But uh, I don't have a full schedule yet. Based on the rumors, I'll probably do the U.S. National Series um, for Spartan. I might do. I'm planning on doing the Spartan World Championship if it's in the hot dry place. Nice. Um, uh, just more for the life experience. Like it's, totally. I'm also really good at sand running for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why it's like one of my skills, not flat, like flat sand running is great, but flat road running. I mean, I don't know. It just slows power, all power production. It's all about the power. It's all about the power. How, uh, how long of a flight is that going to be for you? Like a day? Like that's going to take forever, right? Oh, it'll take a very long time. <laughs> yeah. A very long time. Um, and for those of you who may not know what we're talking about, there's rumors that the next year Spartan World Championship might be in Abu Dhabi. Um, is that, that? I guess you'd consider that the Middle East, correct? I think so. Okay. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not super cultured, but... That, that is just south of Dubai. So very hot, dry, sandy place. Yeah, because no, they've already no mountains. <laughs> so this makes me kind of want to get in, get involved, but uh, <laughs> yeah, because now because well, they have officially announced Tahoe is going to be the North American. North American. So it, so yeah. it's it, so the location is going to be different, and the speculation is that it's Abu Dhabi, um, and that's like just been rumors for a couple months now. Um, yeah, it's I I I don't know until they release everything. Like who knows? It could be Sweden next year. It could be Whistler next year. Until they announce everything, I am not booking plane tickets. <laughs> For sure, um, I looked at them the other day. Yeah. I was like, let me just let me just see. Yeah. Um, also, not that not that cheap. Not not a very short flight. No. Not no. a not a very cheap flight. Yeah, Whistler but would be I, cool. Uh yeah, and that was like that. That was probably my favorite venue of the entire year. Um, cause they have was, like the village, right? The kind of like a Tahoe yeah. deal, deal mm-hmm. the squad. Yeah, it's like, it's a full mountain ski resort. So no, it was a lot of fun, but I mean, right now I, there are, and like, I'm still need to figure out what ultras I want to do. I kind of have a goal of going and doing the OCC, which is part of the UTMB, UTMB series in 2021. Nice. But, but you need ultra trail points for that. And I have zero of those. So I need to, need to collect some. More. I need to go race some trail races. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I, I mean, I love trail running. It's kind of like, that's part of why I do OCR is because training is trail running. And that's a lot more fun than just pounding the pavement and having knee problems and shin problems. Totally. Um, and will you do a Spartan ultra? Have you done one? I have not. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, those have never really been that intimidating to me. It's just two laps of a beast and whatever. Like all the obstacles are there. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I might do it. The money's not that great, so it's like the same, right? Yeah, it's the same, and you got to work a lot harder. And longer. Yeah, You're like <laughs> so ruined the, a bunch more weeks. The mm-hmm. hourly rate is much lower. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Sweet so the twenty-four hour races; those have always looked enter- like fun and entertaining. Just to go try one. Um, I don't know how I would do with them. 
I'd feel like my knees would start hurting around hour 13 and be like, okay, that's enough of that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I mean, Sweden has always been on my bucket list or just Scandinavia in general. So that would be cool to make a trip out of if that's where it is next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. And you mentioned they might do an ultra series in which maybe the money will be good. I, who who knows what will happen. Yeah, that'll be cool. That'll be interesting to see. And the Sweden race looks crazy. The course that they have set up, it just that does it's, not that does not look like something I have any interest in doing. <laughs> just the yeah, just, I've heard they lowered the elevation gain, so now it's nineteen hundred instead of twenty two hundred per lap. So oh. five mile lap with nineteen hundred feet of gain, but there is no way anyone is going to get a hundred miles on that course. How, or, how are they doing the i don't quite understand how some people are eligible like how aaron can still win the million so the way they did it this year is they had a point system and they took your placement at spartan world championships in tahoe and then your placement at uh spartan trifecta world championships in greece and that placement added on to 98 or oh gosh whatever the women's was maybe 78 i think it was that um so say you got first in both of them and you were a male then you would have to run 100 miles to get the million dollars since atkins got second at tahoe and then sixth seventh in uh greece he would get plus nine to the 98 so that's 105 or sorry that's not the correct math that's not 107 i wasn't checking you could have you could have just blasted right i'm like yeah that's right Mm -hmm." 98 plus 9 is 107 and then he would have to run because they're five mile laps he'd have to run 110 aaron's in the same boat um so he has to run 110 killian has to run 105 because he got second and then like sixth or seventh um at Greece or some, like somewhere around there. So he got, that's, I don't know, plus seven, we'll say. And that's 105 from 98. So that's why he has to run five miles less. Uh, Miriam got third at Tahoe and then she did pretty well at Greece, but she still has to run 80. No, she has to run 90. And none of those distances are possible with this these conditions and the elevation gain combined with obstacles. Yeah, no, I I can't I can't imagine. I mean, it's nice, dude. Like, if you went to Greece, like you could be in contention to win like a million dollars in this sport. It's cool to say that, but you're also not because the task, like the it's, the final feat, is impossible. Like, it sure. is impossible. Like, if they, it's almost better. Like, it would almost make it whoever wins that wins a lot of money. And like this million dollar thing, like, oh, that sounds cool. Did. Well, they did do that this year. Oh, they did so they, good. Yeah, so they have a points thing. Like, if you make it this many miles or whatever, I I don't know. They published it a while ago, but you can still make a decent amount of money, like an extra ten thousand dollars. Nice, dude. And like, that's like something that is exciting for for you after yeah. like such a good performance. Like, like, you know what? I could, if I'm good at a twenty four hour race, like, yeah. You the the I looked at the numbers and looked at like my placements. I would have to get. They're still not worth it for like <laughs> for even me literally it's only for like two people yeah um like the, i could have probably made an extra three three grand but traveling to sweden and then like everything with that like you wouldn't half have of net anything yeah yeah and i would have to be training until mid-november 
for a 24 hour race. And I probably would have gotten divorced because of that. (laughs) Uh, No, it, there's a lot that goes into it, especially with that long of a season. So the fact that Atkins is doing it is just, and Aaron um, and Killian for that matter. But those like they, (laughs) I'm interested to see the ramifications for and the impacts of this race, like, and how long this season was on the beginning of their next Next year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for Atkins, it never seems like anything is really, he's just going to get second in every race all the time, no matter what he does the day, the day before the race. No, he, he will win. He'll win this race. I can almost guarantee it. I'm just saying like like, the way he's bounced back after all these crazy races and to do so well, I'm just like, I don't even get it. Yeah. But he's had injury problem. Like he still deals with the difficulties of that. Um, and like the body issues, just like the rest of us. He just doesn't talk about it. He's a human being. That's good to well, know. Well, I don't know if he's a human being. But he gets human-like but, injuries. Yeah. He, I mean, he has, he has human symptoms. Um, well, cool, man. Yeah, I'm excited to see how the next season goes. Because, I mean, like, yeah, and, and make another jump like you made this year. Like, you could be right in the mix for something like that. Like, those million-dollar purses that are, are – those million-dollar game show purses, essentially. <laughs> but maybe they make it more realistic so you can get all that money. Um, but, right. but for how, like you make money otherwise in this coaching base, like, um, tell us a little bit about that. Like, where can people find you? Like, uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things you got going on. Yeah. Um, so right now I, unfortunately my personal roster is capped, but you can join the right wait list. Nice. Um, it's not too long and you can find me at my website at www.hosickpe.com or, you can find me on Instagram at OCR underscore Hosick, or I'm on Facebook if you search my name, Ian Hosick, or Hosick Performance Engineering. That's actually my company's full name. I think that's the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, most of those places you can find my email and reach out. Um, however, I am on in the process of onboarding a new coach, so hopefully we will have some more spots opening up here pretty soon, which will be because I know some people have been waiting for a while uh, as athlete turnover is not very high. Nice, man. It's a good problem. It's a good product you got. So yeah, it's good. It's, good. it's a testament to, to what you got going on, man. So, um, and you do have some other smaller offerings, right? Like uh, what was the one thing, like kind of something along the lines of what we talked about? Um, yeah, there's kind of a fatigue management thing. Yeah, or? well, I mean, that's a bit, that's a bit higher. I mean, there's, that's there more are of a, things that's more of a high level athlete thing. Um, but you, I mean, anyone can do it. It's looking at, um, it's finding your own fitness fatigue numbers. So there's the banister model where every workout has a positive fitness gain and a negative fatigue, uh, detriment. And then we'd find your specific numbers for that and like how they decay over time and how long your fitness stays. And that can help with tapering or planning when you need to like, when you would want to do your peak weeks volume, like we mentioned earlier. Um, and I also do consultations uh, if you just want to ask me some questions. If you just want to chit chat, if they're like, if you, hey, that I guy sounded like a great guy to talk to. If I'm, you want to pay me to talk to you, <laughs> I'm all for it. Like I will have, I'm pretty good at conversations and we can talk about training. We can talk about current politics. Um, Performance I, rompers and fanny packs. I can, I, we can talk all about all of that stuff. All of it. Um, yeah, but yeah, so you can find me on my website and that has the pricing there. I believe it is updated. And then I will be revamping kind of a more cookie cutter program, hopefully this winter, uh, 
to where it's not like my full training, but it's still all of my philosophies and knowledge applied to something where if you can't afford a large rate a month, um, this might be a better way to go. Yeah. You can still have the principles and you can still get your coaching and your ideas and maybe they just need some direction and less of, uh, like all the uh, full experience. Yeah. Um, and less of racing every week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool dude. Well, I appreciate you hopping on man and I'll make sure a link in the show notes. Um, it's, it's dark here now. I don't know if you, you saw that. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Well, you're two hours ahead. Are you? Uh, yeah. You're, you're mountain time then. I am mountain time. Yeah. Um, well, cool dude. All right. Well, I appreciate you hopping on. And when I, yeah, I know. Cool. Thanks guys.